0: You are afraid to tell the truth.
1: Excuse me? That's
0: not the way it happened at all. I mean, what are you afraid of? That if you tell it the way it really happened, that you look like an idiot, like me?
1: Mulder, why don't you tell me the way you think it happened? Starting at the beginning.
2: Gimmicks, a podcast about the high-concept, experimental, structure-breaking gimmick episodes of TV, from musicals to noirs to a vampire investigation told from two perspectives. I'm Derek B. Gale, and who's with me today? Hi, it's me, merrily I'm back. Yay. Hey, merrily, have you had anything to eat since six o'clock this morning? Um, well, yeah, I actually just had some pizza. <laughs> oh, oh no. Oh <laughs> no. No, no dare. <laughs> we are talking about The X-Files Season 5, Episode 12, entitled Bad Blood. If you are unfamiliar with The X-Files, this is one of those shows that was hard to miss, but especially if you're younger, maybe you've never seen an episode of it, potentially. You could probably hum the theme song and know who Mulder and Scully are, because it was just that popular and influential. Uh, But if you didn't know, somehow, uh, it was a massively popular, acclaimed, and long-running supernatural and sci-fi drama created by Chris Carter originally aired on the Fox network from 1993 until 2002 for nine seasons and two theatrical films, then revived for an additional two seasons from 2016 to 2018. It follows FBI agents, Fox Mulder played by David Duchovny and Dr. Dana Scully played by Gillian Anderson, who investigate paranormal cases across the country. And it's known for being the blueprint of the skeptic and believer dynamic that many, 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 many stories continue to use. Uh, basically, Mulder being the knowledgeable and uh, one who's all in on everything paranormal and Scully being the one who challenges him with rational explanations based in science all alongside a slow burn, will-they-won't-they romance. It is known for its dense and convoluted alien invasion, conspiracy, mythology, mysteries, uh, alongside tons of memorable Monster of the Week standalone episodes like the one we're talking about today. More or less the paradigm for stories about government conspiracies and like mistrust of large institutions all throughout the 90s and 2000s. It's really never not been a part of the pop culture conversation. It's always been kind of a major touchstone since it started. Uh, But until we go deeper into it, I've already said a lot. Merrily, what's your personal history with the X-Files?
3: Well, um, not to repeat myself, but uh the X-Files was actually one of my older sister's favorite shows. Nice. Um one of my earliest memories. Um I I don't have a great time re- like I don't my childhood I don't remember a lot of um because mm-hmm. You'd be like that sometimes. Um, sure. But I do remember in, like, the second house that I remember ever, we ever lived in, my mom and my older sister talking about this song. She's seven years older than I am, so, like, it's a big age gap. Um sure. And they were talking about the new song that just came out, David Duchovny, Why Won't You Love Me?
1: Oh, boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: Yeah, um, but I actually never watched it until like, I think 2014.
2: Oh, Um, wow, really? Yeah, yeah,
3: I watched Fringe first, um, which was maybe a mistake, but here we are. Um, (laughs) But it was really fun and funny for me because uh, I got to text Ann as I was watching it and we had a fun conversation uh, about Mm -hmm. The X-Files and she got to experience it again as I was watching it the first time.
2: Oh, that's so cool. Now, I that's that's so interesting to me because I feel like even though it ran beyond 2001, X-Files really feels so fundamentally a pre-9-11 show that I feel yeah. like hits so differently now. So to watch it like without – like with that context for the first time, like today, it's in, in like a contemporary post nine eleven world. Like that's got to be so interesting. Yeah. So
3: like, um, I'm I'm rewatching the series like now. Um, I'm I'm up to uh season two episode five, Dwayne Barry, which uh, if mm-hmm. you know, you know, but. It's so weird. I was, like, watching the first season, which truly has some episodes in it. Um, and I kept thinking about the fact that, hello, this is the year 2022, yeah. um, and the U.S. government has come out a couple of times being like, UFOs are actually real, guys. Like, we know that they're real. They're 100% real. Um, and here's some real evidence and proof of that. And and it's just so weird how times change. Yeah. like. In this third episode of the show, they talk about um, something happening in thirty years, and and them being like, anything could happen in thirty years. You'll be the director <laughs> of the FBI, Scully, in twenty
2: twenty three. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> we're almost there. Dang! Uh-huh. Oh boy. Yeah, that that's interesting because I, I don't I, I did watch it when it was out at mm-hmm. the time, um, though for me, it was kind of it was kind of weird because my parents were actually a really big fan of this show. Were they? Yeah. And like. Like, really, like, I think that when I think back to the shows that I consider my parents, like, actually, like, fans of more than just casual viewers of, to the extent that they could be, because I think they were, they were too old to, like, ever to be, like, online, you know, mm-hmm. when, when that was sort of happening. So they were never, like, in the fandom for The X Files, but, like, this was a show that, like, they made sure that they caught. On a weekly basis, and would like talk about and everything, and so like there are plenty of shows that I share with them to this day, but this one always felt very squarely like theirs, and mm-hmm. I was always kind of like an intruder on that. And, oh, and I don't think I. Yeah. So I've never really, and I've never really shook that. And I think so. So I've never actually like watched the entire show from start to finish. Um, I feel like I've seen a big chunk of it. And there's a lot of it that is so imprinted in in my memory. And like, um, and there's a lot of it that I love. But then I'll scroll through an episode list, and I'm like, maybe I haven't seen as much as I think that I've seen, because I don't recognize 90% of this shit, actually. Well, there were long seasons. That's Yeah, that's that's also, I think, one reason why I have not done a watch through, because it's like, it's a commitment if you want to watch all of the X-Files. And I know that a lot of it often isn't very good. And so it's like, do I want to do it? But then I watch a couple episodes of it, and I'm like, god damn, this show is really good. I kind of do want to watch 200 episodes of this show. Yeah.
3: Uh, <laughs> I mean, the thing about the X-Files that I think is really interesting like i have been thinking about this a lot for the past uh four or five days um is the fact that i don't think that like as important and as influential as the x-files is and it is both of those things undeniably and like the, Mm -hmm. the media landscape the way that we consume and make television would be so radically different without Mulder and Scully in it. Like, the term shipping comes from the X-Files, even. It's that important.
2: I didn't actually realize that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No,
3: like, um, there were people who wanted Mulder and Scully to be in a relationship. That's There were the shippers who wanted the relationship and people who didn't. Um, Like, obviously, Spurk is the granddaddy of all fandom ships, but the (laughs) X-Files is just as important. Sure. But I don't think that it has retained its popularity in the way that some other shows of like that era or later have like Buffy the Vampire mm-hmm. Slayer for example um mm-hmm. when we talked about it we both name dropped several other really interesting critical critique podcasts and and like video essay series that think about Buffy the Vampire Slayer today right i yeah. don't think the x files has that
2: yeah, I yeah. At least like it has it to varying degrees, but it's different. I think like because yeah. I think with I, I think like with Buffy, it's funny that like I have I had you on for an episode of vampires, and I'm having you on for another episode of another show <laughs> with vampires. Didn't even think about that until just now. Yeah, oh, I didn't <laughs> It's really funny.
3: Oh no, am I? Am I? Am I seeing stereotype as the vampire
2: person? We're gonna have to keep this up somehow. Okay. (laughs) Well. But yeah, I think like because the writing about X Files, I think so. Like with Buffy, a lot of things we talked about with that. Mm -hmm. was that there's so much like loaded metaphor in that show intentionally, right? Like Mm -hmm. that was set out with the intention of everything sort of meaning something else and being an allegory for something else. And just the way those metaphors play out and what they apply to just changes over the years. Mm -hmm. X-Files is a lot less of a metaphorical show. It's not really that. No, no. It's much more literal. It's still sort of in conversation with sort of like whatever the zeitgeist is or sort of general feelings of uneasiness about what's happening politically or socially or whatever in the Mm -hmm. world but like it's all very literal about that so I think a lot of the writing that does exist is a lot more about like how it represents the time period in which it was made Mm -hmm. and that's the kind of thing that like doesn't really age the same way obviously because it's sort of like inevitably you're watching it and it's going to be dated because it represents a very 90s point of view that just absolutely doesn't apply to the world anymore so you're almost like you have to watch the x-files like like it's a period piece in a lot of ways oh no it
3: 100 percent is it's Especially again, um, rewatching the se- the series right now, like I get in season two, everyone's outfits are so excellently nineties. Even like beautiful. Scully with her little A glasses, little... and like mm-hmm. um, because the way that media works, like even though it's in the early nineties, they look all very eighties. Even it's sure fantastic.
2: I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so fun. Did you, and, and, and like um, the other thing that I think is interesting about the X-Files that maybe th- makes conversations about it different than a lot of other shows is that it was on for such a long time. And I originally, and I think lost a lot of cred the longer it ran because the longer it ran, the more, the less it felt like it was a very, it was a strong of a show as I think people yeah. realized that it was early on. And then it's just kept coming back in different mm-hmm. ways kind of d- diminishing returns, in my opinion. You're not wrong. And like, I say this with all of the love
3: in my heart, but um, I know I I, I I can't find a way to say this nicely. So I'm just going to say it um, uh-huh. not nicely. Sorry, Thumper. <laughs> I think Chris Carter has a lot of things in common with J.J. J. Abrams, my own mm-hmm. personal ne- nemesis, Jabrams um he (laughs) he builds things a lot of the time and like you can see it when watching the x-files specifically the way that the lore was created here it is so um, immediately hooks people in like you want to know what's happening with this this story with this myth arc but he didn't think it through when he was originally creating it and so like he was building a tower without securing the base. And like, as you went along, like the weight of the facade that was holding the show up crumbled (laughs) and like tore the tower down. (laughs) Yeah. And, and so like, The myth arc of the X-Files doesn't make sense in any way.
2: Yeah, I'm, yeah.
3: (laughs) It doesn't. Like, I I love the X-Files. I love the characters on the X-Files. I think Um, the cigarette-smoking man is one of the most interesting villains to ever grace television screens, and there's a reason why we still talk about Mulder and Scully, Um, And even Skinner, who is also in the Mm -hmm. episode that we're going to talk about today and is just excellent. I love that actor. And I love Skinner very, very much. Um, Like they are like, we still think about them. They're kind of embedded in the cultural landscape. But Mm -hmm. you don't think about the eight Scully's babies
2: plots or Samantha (laughs) or, you know, just. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Um, when I was saying earlier, like there's a lot of that show that sort of imprinted on me. Mm -hmm. No, not the majority of it was not the actual main mythology of the show. The stuff that I remembered were the really cool monsters or or really scary monsters of the week. Mm -hmm. The fluke man, Episode like imprinted <laughs> on me when I first saw it, and could not even revisit it until literally last night. Uh, and in which case, it's like, oh damn, that makeup is like fucking great. What a what a cool looking monster. Oh my god, right? Like stuff like that, or like uh, any of the kind of gimmicky episodes that would appear on this podcast are ones that I loved. Like mm-hmm. I love like. Um, Clyde Bruckman's final response, and like H- Jose Chung's from outer space. and this episode, I think, is probably the episode that I've s- that even before doing this, I've seen the most mm-hmm. just because i th- i it probably is my favorite episode of the show. It's excellent, uh, truly, yeah, it's just so good and And I did watch all of the two revival seasons mm-hmm. and out of those, I think most of those were garbage. To put it <laughs> as nice as I possibly can, unfortunately, yeah, they were uh, but, not good. But, Yeah, but but like the two Darren Morgan episodes, I think were phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a couple of other standalones I think that were like okay. Um, but like, the it's it's so funny that like I think what what X Files did for television in terms of telling long term story arcs is so is like so important. And so many shows did it better than X-Files that even though that was like one of its most important selling factors was it's, it's sort of long-term like unfolding conspiracy. That's the thing that ages the worst and the stuff that ages the best are the kind of very old school standalone stories? They just executed them perfectly well, and were still often very like, ing- like kind of very ingenious and very um, experimental with them, like with this episode. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just so funny to see like its place in pop culture, where it's like you made these big changes and in, 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 in positive ways and was so influential. But the thing that made you so influential was the thing that you actually weren't that good at. Ultimately, <laughs> in the context of today, uh, and it's such a, it's just such an odd thing to to witness.
3: Truly, I, you know, I never really thought about it like that before, but that's a hundred percent true.
0: Two FBI agents assigned to the same cases for different reasons. No explainable cause of death. Do you have a theory? You believe in the existence of extraterrestrials. One a skeptic, one a believer, both trying to answer questions that were never meant to be uncovered. I think those kids have been abducted. By who? By what? <laughs> Seal this up. Nobody sees or touches this.
1: Distinguishing features indicate subject is not human. You've got to trust me.
0: i got to know what they're protecting.
1: Hold it right there.
0: Between reality and fantasy. You've got
1: to protect me.
0: Terror and reason.
1: Mulder, what are they?
0: Trust and betrayal.
1: The X-rays and
0: pictures! Lie the chilling secrets.
1: Mulder, is that you? Mulder?
0: Of the X-Files. Agent Mulder, what are his thoughts?
1: Agent Mulder believes we are not alone.
0: The X-Files a new dramatic series premiering Friday September 10th on Fox.
2: The only like mythology centric thing that I really always liked that really stuck with me was the first movie. I watched the hell oh, out of that movie. Oh yeah.
3: Listen. Yeah. So when I was watching when I was going through the X-Files the first time, um I was texting my sister as I was watching that and like the moment where um, spoilers for a movie that came out many years ago. Um, but the the moment where Mulder and Scully were about to kiss, and then they were cocked blocked by that bee, <laughs> I bee. like nearly threw my laptop. I was <laughs> screaming. I was Ugh. so. I was furious
2: it's horrible but like also like it's so good because you know that the tension is good when it gets when it makes you that angry that they didn't kiss it's like the chemistry is real no for sure
3: (laughs) um did you know um that the network wanted Mulder and scully to bang in the first episode they were like yeah Hmm. no why is this not sexy enough
2: and chris (laughs) carter had to be like no the tension tension, tension." it's about the tension Right, right. I mean, that's, yeah, If that probably would happen today because they just get it out of the way and bang in the first episode and just have a casual sexual relationship and they play with the weird dynamics of that now. But like back in the day, man, it's all about the will they, won't they and stretching it out well, for as many, many years as you possibly could. <laughs> you
3: say that, but it was the X-Files who did that. Um, that was the yeah. X-Files, that, their impact. Like um, I could talk a lot about the shipping culture um and the way that procedurals um have their male and female leads so romance coded mm-hmm. and it's just so annoying, like why can't people just be friends like and I say that mm-hmm. um because you can't ever just have male and female leads be friends unless it's brooklyn nine nine and you have like a large cast and a like designated male and female lead, mm-hmm. but the x files did that like they did that and yeah. As annoying as I find it now, like the way they handled that is legendary for a reason.
2: For for sure, yeah. It's just, it's just such an interesting show to talk about from like so many, it's just, just the the things that it did, Mm -hmm. that it did both good and bad are just all so fascinating. Like, I feel like no matter what it was, it was like unequivocally a net positive on pop culture and in, and in television. Mm -hmm. But, but I think because of that, it's almost sort of the Rosetta Stone for so many things that TV would do going forward. And so you sort of have seen it done better and better in various ways since then. So then you go back to it and it's sort of like this was the original blueprint which means it's going to be deeply flawed because it's still trying to figure out how to do a lot of what it's doing yeah. in terms of its character its character dynamics and, and archetypes and the, the types of stories that it's telling um, and, and there's a there's a certain charm to that I think sort of seeing them try to figure it out as they go along mm-hmm. and make like terrible mistakes <laughs> but then still you know maybe kind of pull themselves up from it a little bit in certain ways and it's like well you know what this led to great stuff down the line even when it was at its worst so it's fine. And
3: like even X Files at its worst, and I'm not saying that it's the worst, but there's an episode sure. in season one called Space where NASA mm. is haunted by um, the the Mars photo that it looks like a face on on the planet Mars. Um, astronauts are haunted nice. by that face, and it's trying to kill <laughs> astronauts. By it, it's it's an episode of television, certainly, um, but I was still interested the whole time um, by Mulder and Scully and like what they were doing and like the way that I'm going to be real with you. I I kept thinking, how are they going to resolve this? It's a, they're haunted by a photo.
2: (laughs) I haven't seen that episode. It sounds horrible, but also fantastic at the same time. And I kind of want to watch that like right now.
3: (laughs) Do you want to go watch space right now? (laughs) Let's Forget about recording the rest of this podcast. Let's just go watch space. (laughs)
2: Yeah, f- forget about what's I'm sure is an objectively better episode of television. Well, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> I mean, it is. It is a better episode of television, certainly. God, I love it. I love it. Well, speaking of this episode.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should probably talk this about episode,
2: that. Yeah, this episode in particular. Um, So... This episode is uh, it's it's what's known as a Rashomon episode. That's sort of the unofficial name um, of of this type of episode. It's an episode where you sort of see the same events of one story told from multiple perspectives by unreliable narrators. So, as such, the events are going to differ in each version, kind of based on uh, the respective narrator's points of view. So, like th- this is actually like a really common a really common one. I'm sure it's going to pop up over and over and over again on this podcast. Um, it's one of my favorite types of episodes, because even when it's, like, not executed well, it's always really fun. It's so good. It ex- yeah, and when it is executed well, you usually learn, like, tons about the characters. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just such a fun way to tell a story. Mm-hmm. If you're wondering why it's called the Ra- a Rashomon style, it's because it's named after the Akira Kurosawa film Rashomon from 1950, um, which is hugely critically acclaimed at the time, and it was, like, an internationally... One of, I think, the first like internationally popular Japanese films. Like one of the first that like the U S like actually brought over and a lot of people over, uh, over here saw. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, it deserves it because it's a very good movie. It's in in the criterion
3: collection. You can go watch it right now. That's how important it is.
2: It's, have you seen it?
3: I am going to be that filthy hypocrite and say, yeah, it's totally important. No, I haven't seen it No.
2: Yeah. It's, it is worth watching. I, I mean, I, I watched it in college, so it's still been a long time since I last watched it, Mm -hmm. but I, I it, it is like influential for a reason and it basically invented this concept because it is about just like four different contradictory accounts of like the same crime. Um, and the whole film's theme is like the subjectivity of truth and the uncertainty of factual accuracy. like and it's it's a really interesting exploration of that. Um, and it's all you know just based on different character perspectives, right? And, like, it, it was so effective of doing this. Like I said, I'm pretty sure that it was the first time, like, any story had ever done that. I, I really do think that, that that movie kind of invented this type of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, even in real life, there are academics who, like, have coined in 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 papers, like, the Rashomon effect or the Rashomon principle. That's very much about, like, the subjectivity of perception on recollection. Like, that well-known it's it's well-known that observers of an event – Um, are usually able to produce like Often substantially different, but still like kind of potentially plausible accounts of the same event, just because the way that we remember things is still going to be like grounded in like who we are and how we view the world. Like that's an actual thing that exists in the world, Mm -hmm. which is scary to think about that our memories are that flawed. And like, what is reality if we're all perceiving reality and it all looks different to everyone? We can't go down that rabbit hole, but (laughs) uh, (laughs) the, uh, the style of storytelling, I would say is probably like it is in this episode, most effectively used when it's kind of really exploring different characters' biases and motivations and their relationships based on how we see them perceiving themselves and other characters in the world around them, which we'll definitely dig into in this episode because this episode is all about that. And just kind of a fun fact, I was trying to dig into where this popped up in television first mm-hmm. and i think from what i can tell the first time an episode of tv did a rashomon episode was actually an episode of the donna reed show oh in 19 in 1959 oh um,
3: that is yeah. not that long after the concept was introduced good for donna right. Reed.
2: right yeah it's an episode called have fun and it's just about like it's a bad first date and both dates kind of Uh, you know recount their version of events Mm -hmm. Um, it's become very common after that but I couldn't find anything from before that Um, and so I kind of like want to watch that episode just to see how it was done yeah me too Uh, actually yeah yeah it's so interesting now this particular episode bad blood um, I think what's interesting is that this isn't like technically the first Rashomon episode it's just the first one that I think is like the exact type of Rashomon type story. They did a variation on it in season three with Jose Chung's From Outer Space. Which is, if you that, haven't
3: seen it, a truly excellent episode of television.
2: It's phenomenal. It's hilarious. It's weird. Their sort of Rashomon take, there's a lot going on in that episode, to be honest, <laughs> compared there's to this so one. There's so much. And like So much. And their take is more like, it's less about sort of, grounded in character perspectives it's more just like everyone who recounts these events they get like more different or weirder with each passing narrator um it's it's less about the characters and more about just like the facts changing and and things just getting more twisted this episode is very squarely like simple plot just you're just seeing how the characters sort of see the world and see their relationships based on their two versions of the story and it's like Mulder and scully instead of a bunch of rando characters in that other episode so like I this one is is probably a purer version of like what a Rashomon story is. See, that's um, interesting
3: because I would have said that Jose Chung's was a more pure example of the Rashomon and this was a little bit more of a variation. Yeah. That's interesting.
2: I I just I mean, I maybe like I don't know. I could I could be I could be No, I think I think you're like 100% right.
3: Right. Um I think it's just mm. like the Rashomon style—they're two different subjective areas of truth.
2: Yeah, right, exactly. Because I think like with this episode, there's only a few points when it like there are hugely contradictory things. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it's just like slightly skewed versions of the same same events. Yeah, you know, and, and Jose Chung like things get fucking bananas in that episode <laughs> based
3: really on your story. Do. So
2: <laughs> there's a scene in
3: Jose Chung. I'm.
2: Let's not get
3: too deep into it in case uh, you ever want to use that um, because you should. It's it's truly Mm -hmm. an excellent. But the bit that I always remember in Jose Chung's, like, two things. There's a scene where, like... Someone's describing Mulder like interviewing them in a diner, and he asks one non sequitur question, eats an entire slice of pie, orders another slice of pie, and then right. asks another question, and he eats the whole pie that way.
2: <laughs> it's amazing. I love Jose Jones. So it's a great episode. It's so fun.
1: Next, Mulder and Scully confront a vampire. The X Files
2: on Fox. Do you believe in Creatures of the Night? Well, it's obviously not
1: a vampire. Well, why not? Because they don't exist.
0: You have the right to remain silent. I know my methods may seem a little odd to you. <laughs> huh? The X-Files. Huh? Oh, <sighs> An all-new episode
1: Sunday on Fox.
2: Vince Gilligan, who's the episode's writer, I'll talk about him in a little bit, but he said that this one... He didn't cite this as being, like, uh, uh, inspired by Rashomon specifically. Mm-hmm. He actually cited a Rashomon-style episode of the Dick Van Dyke show from 61 called The Night the Roof Fell In. Mm-hmm. And that was one that he was thinking of. That was just about, like, I think Dick and Laura have a fight, and that's, they just give their conflicting accounts about it. Mm-hmm. Um, which feels very in line with this episode. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mulder and Scully. Right. So giving their conflicting accounts about, essentially, a fight that they had just during an <laughs> investigation. <laughs> So I think, and and you know, it was sort of like, well, we're gonna have the same, you know, two versions of the same story, so it makes sense to keep the plot simple. So they're sort of like, why don't we do a vampire story? Everyone could follow a vampire story. That's super easy. We get it. Um, so that's how a vampire story comes out of it. Had they has there been a v- vampire episode of the of, of X Files before this episode came out? Um, I feel like I don't know
3: about. Uh again, it's been many years. I've only seen um X-Files once. Um and I'm going to be real with mm-hmm. you. I didn't <laughs> finish the show that time through either. Um eh. Uh listen, I've I fin- have not finished more shows than I have finished. Uh,
2: well, X-Files of it's like multiple potential endings that it's had. None of them are very good. So no, you're fine. No,
3: <laughs> they're really not. <laughs> like I I I only have one life to live. Um, And I will use that time how I see fit. Uh, And if it's (laughs) watching the Great British Baking Show again, so be it. Um, That's not the point. The point is (laughs) that um, I think that this is the first for real vampire. I think that there's like... um, In Scully's run through of the episode, she talks about a possible satanic cult kind of angle. And I know that Mm -hmm. they have at least one cult episode before this. I think there could have been a Chupacabra episode, but I don't, uh, don't quote me on that one. Um, But I think that this was the first time they did vampires. I think it's the only time they did vampires, actually.
2: Gotcha. You know what? They they nailed it. So why revisit that? Oh, truly correct. It's (laughs) It's so good yeah yeah um i have a i have a quote uh, from vince gilligan from um from a book that i recently got called monsters of the week the complete critical companion to the x-files uh, which is by zach Hanlon and emily vanderwerf and
3: thank you for that by the way because i saw that you got it i was like oh that looks fun <laughs> so i have it now too <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's good. I mean, that's another reason where I'm like, maybe I should just watch the show because I have the book that's about every episode. So then I could watch every episode and read the thing from the book that I bought for it. Oh, God, this is <laughs> going to be my life for a while, isn't it? Um, a little bit. <laughs> but...
3: L- listen, we could have an X-Files uh, movie club. It's fine.
2: Oh, that could be fun. Yeah. So Vince Gilligan, I think in the quote they're using about it, he's kind of talking more generally, but I think it really applies to this episode. Um, He said uh, to me, he was talking about the Mulder Scully dynamic specifically. Mm -hmm. He said to me, it was the tennis match that occurred between them. These were two really smart characters who had their own view of the world and their own various areas of expertise but they were both whip smart and both respected and even loved each other. Uh, you wanted them in a perfect world to both have equally compelling arguments. Of course, when you're watching as a viewer, the whole thing is weighted toward Mulder being right, uh, which is why some of my favorite episodes or ones were ones where Scully, at least in the short term or in some sense turned out to be right. And I think it makes sense because it, it's interesting because it applies to this episode in two ways because this episode is fully about the tennis match between Mulder and Scully yeah. and they're, their two views of the world. And then also like Scully is in some sense, right. In the end of this episode, that's kind of one of the things, one of the things I love about it's like Mulder and Scully are kind of both equally right in their theories. It's just like, fusing those theories together is what's really happening.
3: I think we can both agree that Scully is a little bit more right. Because... Sure. uh, Like, Mulder's correct. There are vampires. But pretty much everything that he... He says has a lot of theories about what vampires are like. And pretty much Mm. none of them are true.
2: That's so true. Like,
3: um, we'll get into it later. But, like, his whole scene where he's talking about the, the vampire at the creepy graveyard um, and he, he says like a lot of things that you know could be could be a sign of this that and the other thing and he is mm-hmm. talking spoilers to a vampire and another vampire just rolls on by and Mulder <laughs> is none the wiser
2: yeah it's great it's so funny it's so funny this is uh, truly a rules. great
3: episode it's incredible
2: yeah it's phenomenal and it's I mean uh, it was critically acclaimed at the time It still is I think You're going to find a lot Any retrospectives And episode lists Are going to list this one As either like One of the the best Or the best humor episode A lot of them places List this just as One of the best episodes In general I wouldn't disagree with it mm-hmm. Jillian Anderson said In a Reddit AMA That this was her favorite episode mm-hmm. uh, Which like She kills it So sure I'm sure it was fun to do Oh my god I bet And <laughs> This is just a funny Like anecdote She said In that same AMA I think That like She wanted her younger kids To see her in the Mm -hmm. X-Files just like see their mom like what their mom does for a living and so she chose this episode thinking they'd like it because it's a funny episode but she said it still gave them nightmares anyway. (laughs) I mean
3: that's real. I had some nightmares about Episodes of the X Files that I watched as a little baby that I had no idea were mm-hmm. X Files things about. Like, it's a scary show for a little guy.
2: Oh, dude, Jose Chung's, uh, the the Lord Kimbo, the the red like kind of claymation Ray Harryhausen style. Yeah, in that episode, that fucked me up when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. Like, it fucked me up. Even watching the episode and knowing it was a comedy, and it was like years before I revisited it, it was sort of like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I legit, I think I legitimately was like scared of claymation for a long time, and then it became like my favorite type, like my favorite medium (laughs) of animation in general. So, (laughs) So, uh, that's character development. cool that's all I got to say for background I might have some other tidbits as we go through the episode Mm -hmm. but I say we've got plenty to talk about in this episode so why don't we dig into it if you want to watch this episode along with us, it is available for streaming on Hulu and on DVD. I think what's, and I think on Blu-ray too, because Hulu has a HD remaster uh, and it, the show looks really good. It seems like it's one of like the actual good HD remasters of 90s shows, which is nice. Yeah,
3: it looks incredible. I love it.
2: So, the synopsis per IMDb for Bad Blood is, Scully and Mulder each recount their version of events that led Mulder to drive a stake through the heart of a Texas teenager he claims was a vampire. It's a good synopsis, actually. Yeah, it's really good. actually very proud of them. <laughs> yeah. The original air date was February 22nd, 1998. It was written, like I said, by Vince Gilligan. Uh, he's best known now as the creator of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Um, he was heavily involved with uh, a major creative force on the X-Files at the time. Uh, he wrote many well-known episodes. eventually became executive producer. Um, I think like X-Files and Breaking Bad, his two the two big things that Vince Gilligan um, is and probably should be associated with.
3: Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting, especially cause he, he does become such a, a big driving force for the show, but he was a fan first. He didn't mm. start writing for the X-Files till I think season three. Um, and they liked him so much. They asked him back and he, they just kept bringing him back until he, he ended up being an executive producer. Nice. Nice.
2: So this episode was directed by Cliff Bull. Uh He's directed since the 70s on shows like The Six Million Dollar Man, Fantasy Island, V, MacGyver, multiple Star Treks, much more. Um, he's got he's got a long a long list of credits. His last credit was actually an episode of Supernatural in 2007 before he died in 2014. What episode do you know? Uh, I think it was Red Sky at Dawn, if I'm remembering correctly, the one with the ghost ship that I remember i don't i remember that one not being very good but it's also been a long time since i saw it so i don't know.
3: truly i do not re- remember this episode at all so it could have been after i stopped watching or it was
2: it, it was like season three i think oh then i definitely
3: that I have about. seen it i just don't it does not yeah. live in my mind palace at all yeah.
2: i mean there's a lot of episodes of supernatural so you know <laughs> there sure one, are one would argue too many <laughs> uh anyway
3: i believe we both have definitely made that argument before
2: I think we have. So this this fantastic episode opens, uh, the, the cold open, uh, the teaser is rad, I think, because it's like you're sort of typical somebody being chased by something. It's a teenage boy running through the woods at night screaming for help. Um, there's a pursuer who like tackles him, stabs him in the heart with a wooden stake, like jams it in, same way you'd kill a vampire. And we see that the person who did it was Mulder. Scully arrives on the scene and it's like, oh shit, Mulder killed a vampire, what? Uh, but then he opens <laughs> the boy's mouth, there's vampire fangs, and it's like, oh wow. Kid really was a vampire, and Mo- Scully sees it. She can't deny that it's a vampire, right? Uh, she taps on the teeth, and the teeth come off. Turns out that they were fake fangs, and uh, Mulder just stares at it unbelievably and says, Oh, shh!" And then it cuts off uh, for the credits. It's which so is It's just- so good. So good. like, And it's, like, right off the... And what's funny, you don't know exactly what kind of episode this going to be, but you can tell that it's going to be, like, one of their funny ones yeah, right off the bat.
3: Like, the, the cutting off the swear into the credits is one of the best gags. I laugh every time any show ever mm-hmm. does that. Um, mm-hmm. And it just, like, the subversion of it, like, you think it's a normal X-Files episode, and then actually Mulder was the thing in the dark. So good. Yeah.
2: It's so good, yeah, yeah, and 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 the, the way the, I mean the episode continually flips it back and forth, because uh, it's sort of like the the story being like oh shit. Mulder's just straight up killed a kid. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do with this right now? Um, And then we just see that subverted like over and over again throughout it. It's so fun. The kid, by the way, we learn his name is Ronnie Strickland. He's played by Patrick Raina, uh, who is like really, I think, really recognizable. He's got a very like kind of distinct looking face. Mm -hmm. Um, But he was most famous as uh, the character Ham in the Sandlot. Sandlot! Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably his biggest role. I feel like he's just had a lot of guest spots since then. I I think
3: that you're probably right. I just know that I saw the Sandlot so many times as a child. uh Me too. I could not see his face without going immediately, Sandlot, Sandlot. I mean, he
2: also looks exactly the same. He really
3: does. (laughs) He really does. Like, uh, he got his face early and just kept it.
2: Yep. So, in the X Files office, uh, Mulder and Scully, they're obviously, you know, frustrated by <laughs> this whole situation. Um, uh, we kind of learn that, like, the family of the boy, Ronnie Strickland, plans to sue the FBI for hundreds of millions of dollars. Skinner wants our report
1: in one hour. What are you going to tell
2: him?
0: What do you mean, what am I going to tell him? I'm going to tell him exactly what I saw. What are you going to tell him?
1: I'll tell him exactly what I saw.
0: And how is that different? Look, Scully, I'm the one who may wind up going to prison here. I gotta know if you're gonna back me up or what.
1: First of all, if the family of Ronnie Strickland does indeed decide to sue the FBI for, I think the figure is $446 million, then you and I both will most certainly be co-defendants. And second of all, I don't even have a second of all, Mulder. $446 million. I'm in this as deep as you are, and I'm not even the one that overreacted.
2: I didn't do the... With the thing. I
0: did not overreact. Ronnie Strickland was a vampire.
2: Both Mulder and Scully are going to be held accountable because they're partners, even though Mulder's the one who did the thing with the thing.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Like Scully's delivery of like not only that line, but the one where where she talks about the first of all, um, she would be the defendant, like the the co-defendant. It would be for like so much money, yada, yada, yada. And then secondly... Mm -hmm. There is a no second of all Mulder. It's 40 whatever million dollars. It's <laughs> yeah. Jillian Anderson is oh a comedic God, talent so who is underutilized by pretty much mm-hmm. every show that she's ever been on because she is mm-hmm. such a good dramatic actress. Nobody is like, oh, hey, Jillian, let's use those comedy chops. And it's such a shame. Yeah. She's so funny.
2: Yeah, I mean, true. I mean, really, her, both her and David Duchovny are like, oh, are always so. It's it's weird that like not they that she especially doesn't get recognized for the comedy mm-hmm. because there's so many comedy episodes of the show and they would not work if if the two of them weren't very good comedic actors Mm -hmm. like it fundamentally wouldn't and it always does like i mean they're like a cut above from this show that's why this show could have a theatrical movies because they can both hold films too like they're they're great actors all around but they're
3: incredible and and like the x-files perfectly utilizes their talents and i don't know that either of them have found a vehicle that fits their their truly immense talent since you know what i mean Mm-hmm. And no disrespect, like, I love both of their continued work, like, Jillian especially has had some truly incredible shows, like, but give Jillian Anderson more work, I think, is where uh, I'm landing on on this particular point.
2: Yeah, I mean, sure. I'm never against seeing her in, I don't know, literally anything. I know, like, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, so, like, Scully thinks that Mulder overreacted, uh, Mulder... <laughs> And Mulder's like, I mean, like, obviously, uh, and Mulder kind of thinks that their views might be conflicting. He's, you know, it's like, like, what, what are you going to tell Skinner? Oh, I'll tell him exactly what I saw. Okay. How is that different? <laughs> uh, obviously it's going to be different, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's how we get the premise of this episode. They decide to relay their individual perspectives on the events to each other. Mm-hmm. This whole first section, Scully's version of events. Um, so the story begins in the X-Files office Yesterday morning, when I arrived at work, you were uh,
1: characteristically exuberant.
0: hope you brought your cowboy boots.
1: You want us to go to Dallas? yee
0: Actually, a town called Chaney, about 50 miles south of there, population 361. By all accounts, very rustic and charming. But as of late, ground zero, the locus for a series of mysterious nocturnal exsanguinations.
1: Exsanguinations? Of whom?
0: How does that grab you? It's a dead cow, exactly. Or more specifically, a dead 900-pound Holstein. Its body completely drained of blood, as was this one, this one, this one, this one, and so on. Six, all in all, approximately one a week over the past six weeks. Is there any sign Two of- Two small puncture wounds on the neck?
1: That's not what I was gonna ask.
0: Too bad, we got them, check it out.
1: Well, these may be syringe marks. They're placed place for men to emulate fangs. Such ritualistic bloodletting points towards cultists of some sort, in which case, what
0: yeah that's probably a satanic cultist come on scully you're
1: not gonna tell me you think this is that mexican goat sucker
0: el chupacabra no they got four fangs not two and they suck goats hence the
2: name (laughs) (laughs) so in this version (laughs) her portrayal of Mulder is just it's so
3: funny and like the thing is that like i love this episode and one of the reasons why i don't think it's necessarily as like pure of a rashomon example is because i think that um like she's just telling this story to Mulder and I think she's poking mm-hmm. fun at him a little bit and then oh that's a good point yeah and so then when we do the flip side to his point of view like he is obviously getting revenge a little bit um hmm. on her for her gentle ribbing. I don't think like if we saw just what they were saying to Skinner, I think that yeah. maybe he would be a little bit less hyperactive, but God bless, mm. it's so funny to see hear Mulder talking at like um, you know, when you speed up a podcast because you got stuff to do, um you have <laughs> yeah. a huge backlog, but you still wanna hear the podcast, so you go like 0.5 speed. That's what he sounds like in this scene. It's hysterical.
2: Yeah, I yeah, like her 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 her, her characterization of Mulder is that he's just like super over enthusiastic. He's like talking a mile a minute, like you said. Like she can barely get a word in before he cuts her off, and he's like very condescending to her when she's like presenting perfectly rational suggestions. He's like, "No cultists? What are you talking about, Scully?" <laughs> um, which. I think it's funny because when the perspective flips, there's still condescension just going the other way. Um, but I, that, I, I really like that that you kind of brought up that they are the importance of them telling it to each other because I never really thought of it that way. But you are very right. I think that it they it's really smartly done because it provides context to how heightened their characterizations are. Be- because that it only works if if there isn't an objective party, because anyone outside of the two of them listening to them tell the story is going to be like, "Well, obviously, you're over exaggerating's characteristics, but it makes sense when it's to each other and they're kind of making fun of each other. That's really smart. I like that
3: yeah, like I think that this episode is a treasure for a lot of reasons. um the fact that in Scully's retelling, um, Mulder forgets t- her name. Her name? And, oh man. It's incredible. It's so funny. And then, like uh, as he's walking past, he's like, Come on your little legs, Scully. And she has to <laughs> walk past a Hunky Sheriff, who we're going to get to in a second. And yeah. uh, just like with her yeah. head hanging down low, of like, uh, I have been embarrassed by a hot yeah. guy. I can't believe this.
2: It's so funny. Yeah. It's so funny. God. <laughs> I think the condescension is like so important to this episode because it's like you both kind of view each other as like looking down on the other one, like you both think that, like, and neither of you recognize how much how much like you, how much the other actually respects you and like loves you like I don't think you realize no, that it's, I, okay it's so interesting.
3: like i I think that like you might be onto something, but also at the same time, I don't think. Mulder and Scully's relationship would work at all in any way if they both mm. didn't know that the other one respected them sure. hugely. Like the
2: That's true.
3: Like, even from the very first episode, like the pilot, um, which I, I I have a lot of appreciation for the pilot, even in like the pilot in the first couple episodes, you see how much Scully like respects Mulder and like his theories even though like she doesn't necessarily agree with them and Mulder mm-hmm. always like will hear her out and like considers her an expert in her field um mm-hmm. but it is very funny <laughs> To see them yeah. sniping at each other like this,
2: <laughs> so funny, yeah. So like the 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 scene, it's the, the setup for it is that like there's a bunch of dead cows in a town in Cheney, Texas that scold uh, Sculder. <laughs> is. is that the ship name? What is the ship name for Mulder and Scully? Actually, um, uh, it's it's not Skulder, is it? Because that sounds wild. <laughs> I am going to be real
3: with you. I have never uh, read a single piece of X Files fan fiction, so I could not <laughs> oh, tell oh. you. Um, could be Skulder. it could be um or mully, <laughs> I think it's just um again, because this is so early in early days, it could have it could just be the ship, or I don't sure. know, uh, I wanna believe i uh,
2: oh, that's
3: it'd nice. be good, um, cool. so there is a a very funny just like speaking of like how unimpressed Scully is and in, in in like both versions of the story. Um there's a mm-hmm. very funny fan comic. Like they um the 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 writer, author stopped after like season six because she says in like the author's notes that like she's got a very busy life and and like she mm-hmm. just had like a couple of kids and like sh- she was doing this for free. And so she stopped but she did do Bad Blood. It's called um, Monster of the Week the complete uh, cartoon x-files mm-hmm. um and she does one for bad blood and um in this one like a, as sometimes instead of just talking about the episode she talks about her experience watching the episode with her partner for this comic playthrough mm-hmm. uh it starts with the partner like had fallen asleep during the watch and so he asked her what happened and for halfway through, it's like in Scully Vision, Mulder was hyper and pushy and Scull- Scully was unimpressed. In Mulder Vision, Mulder was dedicated and sincere and Scully was really unimpressed. And like the way <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: so funny. That's hilarious. That's so funny. Yeah. 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 Wow. I love yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to send you a
3: link right now. It's so funny. Yeah.
2: That's perfect. That's perfect so like Mulder is like very 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 intent on this being classic vampirism is shutting down all of her counter arguments so instead this would be classic vampirism of a bunch of cows
0: and one dead human last night a vacationer from New
2: Jersey come on we gotta go
1: why the hell didn't you tell me that from the beginning Not
2: Oh, and also, you know, there was a man killed the same way. By the way, F Y I. Anyway, let's go. <laughs> uh, I, I love, I love, I love that joke. Yeah, it's so um. funny.
3: It just like at the very end, it was like, oh yeah. And also, a, a Jersey tourist star. Let's go. <laughs> yeah,
2: right, right. It's great. So they head to Cheney, and that's when we meet uh, who you referenced, Sheriff Lucas Hartwell, who's played by Luke Wilson, uh, which is such a fun guest star. <laughs> it
3: really is.
2: Um, yeah.
3: He's this dreamy. Texas sheriff and he's he's great in uh Scully vision but Mulder version of him is oh my god honestly one of the funniest bits in the episode
2: i feel so bad for luke wilson for having to like <laughs> talk say so many lines with those like horrible prosthetic teeth <laughs> like man good good for you i hope you got a bonus for that dude <laughs> But uh, he doesn't have the prosthetic teeth in this version nope. because he's at his hottest in Scully's uh, POV um, and like way more like kind of very very flirty with her and very like appreciative. Zero derma pigmentosis. You
1: really know your stuff, Dana. Dana?
0: He never even knew your first name.
1: You gonna interrupt me or what?
0: No. Go ahead
1: dana
3: it's so extremely good
2: yeah but uh they investigate the body it does have vampiric puncture wounds like they were thinking uh that it would scully kind of postulates you know it's probably a a a killer who's mimicking a vampire someone who just uh maybe they just like want to be a vampire maybe they even like get erotic pleasure from sucking blood like plenty of rational explanations your
0: satanic cultists have some sharp little teeth What's satanic cultist? Go ahead, tell him your uh, theory.
1: Well, my theory has evolved. Basically, I think that we're looking for someone who has seen one too many Bela Lugosi movies. He believes he is a vampire, therefore he- act like one, yeah, yeah.
0: Sheriff, you say this man is exactly as you found him. Yes, sir, to the letter. Have you noticed that this man's shoes are untied? Yeah, they sure
2: are. Mulder, what's your point?
0: This means something. Sheriff, do you have an old cemetery in town off the beaten path? The creepier, the better.
2: But meanwhile, Mulder is just like being a huge, hyperactive dork <laughs> and like completely, you know, cutting off any of her thoughts. And he's just like, whoa, the shoes are untied. Oh, weird. And Scully's like, why? And he's like, "Uh, take me to the creepiest, most offbeat cemetery you can right now. Mulder, what are you talking about? What's happening right now? It's
3: so funny. Um, like, in this scene there's a bit where the sheriff and Scully are kind of like standing closer and closer together as Scully goes on for like five minutes about all of the different things that it could be. Um, And like Mulder is standing in between them in one shot and he like rolls his eyes and walks off. It's like chef's (laughs) kiss hilarious.
2: God, I know. There's so much of this episode is fully just the acting and the body language. Mm -hmm. Like so much of it yeah, it, it's like fundamentally like if you haven't watched it and are just listening to the podcast, like it. it uh, I mean, obviously, it's not going to do it justice, but I think even more so here because so much is just communicated from just the way that they look at each other, Mulder and Scully look at each other in these in this episode, depending on who's telling the story. It's it's so good. It's
3: extremely good, and like um on the Wikipedia entry for this. For this episode, they talk about the fact that when they were shooting, when they do the different versions, they shot them back to back using the exact same camera angles even. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, if you n- watch no other episode of the Eps- X-Files, I implore you to watch this one.
2: Yeah. It's That's good. not
3: true. I would say watch Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose, but also watch this one. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, so this one we see this really nice uh, long montage of Scully doing the autopsy. <laughs> It's just so funny because, like, she's just fucking done and she's tired. She's hungry. But, like, it's so great the way that she's just casually handling, Okay, <laughs> like, all these bloody organs.
3: <laughs> so this scene, uh, I watched the episode several times in pre- preparation for this, uh-huh. as I want to do. Um, As I was watching it, like, I think the third or fourth time I was watching it, it was like, that heart is ginormous. Right? Um, and so, so like I was interested and I was like, how how much does a heart weigh? Like how much is that prosthetic? Like what is happening here? So um, I would like to give you some fun facts. Are you ready for this? Oh,
2: please. Please do. Okay. Yes.
3: So when you Google um, average weight of adult man's heart, Um, Mm -hmm. it's about 310 grams. So the Uh X-Files is pretty much spot on. I think that the heart is a little bit heavier, um, but that seems totally reasonable, like variables within the weight of like a healthy heart, especially this guy is like a tourist from New Jersey. He's a 60-year-old man. I could see him having a slightly enlarged heart, but like it's about 11 ounces, 310 grams for the mass of a average adult man's heart. But the problem, the problem is that she then goes to weigh the lung, like a single lung. um, Uh And it's about the same as the heart. And Derek, I am here to tell you (laughs) that is extremely medically inaccurate.
2: No, there's no way. No,
3: so <laughs> the, in a normal adult man, the lungs weigh approximately a thousand grams. So each lung should be wow. about 500 grams. That man's lung, I'm going to say, I don't remember exactly, is about like 350. Where is the extra 200 grams, my guy? Wow.
2: Wow. I don't think it's the vampire
3: that killed him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was missing um lots of the mass of his lungs and like obviously the show didn't want me to pay attention to that but um now i know this so you have to too
2: that's beautiful i love it it's so fun
3: (laughs) (laughs) it just it's it it stood out to me like how huge that prosthetic heart was
2: yeah well and i i I mean, the numbers, the fact that she says the numbers and they and they don't work, like, that's that's its own sort of funny, they didn't do their research kind of problem. Mm-hmm. I, I I like the idea that they got bigger prosthetics than they needed just to make it look weightiers, just to make it look like even more of an inconvenience <laughs> for her to be, like, slopping those gigantic <laughs> organs into the scale, mm-hmm. like, tired and hungry. I know, especially, like, everything. the large intestines.
3: Um, <laughs> yeah. It's just, like, a huge, yeah. like mess of like red
2: Yeah.
3: It's gross as hell and it's yeah. perfect.
2: Well and it's great too because it's it's so good because the whole episode the the whole scene is disgusting mm. intentionally. Which makes it even better when Scully's like going through his stomach <laughs> and she's like stomach content show last meal close to the time of death
1: consisting of pizza topped with pepperoni Green peppers, mushrooms, mushrooms. (sighs) That sounds
2: really good. Mushrooms. 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 Oh, that sounds so good.
3: Scully (laughs) deluxe pizza lover confirmed.
2: (laughs) Oh, man. It's great. It's great. Well, she does go to the, get, get the autopsy done. She returns to the hotel. Um, there's a nice little joke where like sh- she names the hotel, the Davy Crockett motor court and in voiceover <laughs> motors. Like it was actually the Sam Houston motor lodge, which like w- those sound nothing alike. First of all, what are these, like what are these references right uh, now? <laughs> the
3: reference would be Texas culture. Um, I guess so. <laughs> no, like uh, I live in Texas. I have for a number yeah. of years now. It's a hundred percent, a hundred percent, especially um, in the Dallas Fort Worth area, which is supposedly where Cheney, Texas. Oh, uh, I, I looked into this too. Um, Cheney, Texas is a real place, however, comma, mm. it's not as described in the episode, obviously. Cheney, Texas sure. is more of a census designated area than a real town. Um Whoa. yeah, so like in the show, um, It says that there are, like, 340 people that live there. According to the Texas State Historical Association website, a.k.a. the Handbook of Texas... um, No, I don't want to sign up. Please let me see the information. Yeah. um, (laughs) Is... Oh, no. Where's the information I was looking for? Oh, no. <laughs> I, I swear to God, it was like there were only 34 people. Okay, yeah, here it is. Cheney's population was 25 in 1940, oh. and 35 from 1980 through 2000. This was not has not wow. been updated since uh, December 1st, 1994, so I don't know how they would know until 2000, but that is what the uh, Cheney texas state historical association website would say also oh
2: that's so interesting (laughs) in case you
3: are wondering there is an actor named texas cheney
2: who has many more google results than cheney texas oh wow you know what it does sound like a good place for uh vampires in rvs to chill out though (laughs) if, if there's space for them so yeah anyway um davy crockett
3: is a well-known texas hero because he fought at, and died at the alamo sam houston uh is one of the founders of texas and he's the guy whom houston is named after so those are the okay. two of those
2: people okay word good to know cool well they did the research did they did they Derek? <laughs> <laughs> they might not know how much a lung weighs but they know <laughs> important uh, or at least like well-known names from texas culture i, I guess. think
3: one person <laughs> went to texas one time
2: <laughs> sure Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah, sorry. That it means um,
3: nothing. There's no reason for me to give you those facts to you, but you can have them.
2: That's still that's still fun though. That's still good to know. I was actually I was curious if if Chaney existed. I just didn't bother to look it up. So thanks for doing that. <laughs> My pleasure. Well, whatever the 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 motel is called, Scully chills out there. Uh she orders a pizza, puts money in the magic fingers on her bed. Um before she can like fully relax, Mulder shows up <laughs> just fully covered in mud. <laughs> refusing to tell her what happened to him
3: yeah she likes t- t- uh it's so funny like she comes in she she initially is like chloral hydrate and they have a whole conversation about that and then she looks at him and it's like molder what happened to you and he just sits down and doesn't answer it's mwah. every episode yeah, every part of this great. episode is so funny
2: it really is um, but yeah, so she she tells them like she did find chloral hydrate in uh, in the victim's body, which are basically like knockout drops. Chloral hydrate, more colorfully known as knockout drops.
1: I found it in abundance when I sent the talk screen in on our murder victim. Now, seriously, Mulder, what happened to you?
0: Nothing. Who slipped in the Mickey?
1: My theory. You're a vampire. He found it necessary to dope poor Mr. Fun to the gills before he was able to extract his blood. Probably did it to the cows, too.
0: What kind of vampire would do that?
2: Exactly.
0: <sighs> we got another dead tourist. You got to do another autopsy.
2: Tonight? Mulder then just sort of casually informs her, like, by the way, there's another dead tourist. You got to do an <laughs> autopsy, like, right now. She's like, now? But I just put money in the magic fingers.
3: And in what is possibly the funniest part of the whole episode, Mulder flops on the bed, still covered in like still wearing his his mud covered trench coat and starts laughing Ugh. maniacally as scully it's... gets up and it looks so sad and we're like Mulder, this is my room don't get mud everywhere <laughs> before she leaves
2: it's so sad it's so and she passes the pizza guy on the way out she didn't even get her pizza she didn't even get her
3: pizza and she's like the guy in there will pay and she goes to do her autopsy and it's i this episode is an exquisite feast for your funny bone.
2: And it's just you feel so bad for her, you know. So she, because she's, they do another autopsy montage, but she like she's even like even more obviously like frustrated. Like she's like slamming the organs and <laughs> the scales. This time. and like
3: the 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 large intestines, like they don't all make it onto the scale, so they like are dripping down the sides, and she just oh, has to look. Oh my it. god! No, okay. There's a part in the first autopsy when she's first starting it when she's like gives the name of the guy He's like, who's arguably having a worse time in Texas than me, though not by much. <laughs> and then like <laughs> I feel like we don't see it, but we feel like at the very beginning of the autopsy this time, she has to make a similar comment We're like, I actually think I am having a worse time in Texas than this guy. As it turns out, I would rather be the corpse.
2: <laughs> God. <laughs> um... While she's doing this uh, She gets another phone call But like only hears breathing on the other side And hangs up Um, That'll come back into play later Uh, But then she notices you know There's there's chloral hydrate in the system again But also Stomach contents include Pizza
1: Chloral hydrates in the pizza
2: The pizza guy Mulder I love how quickly this all comes together. She's just like in the middle of looking at the stomach. She's like, pizza, (gasps) pizza, the drops from the pizza, (gasps) the pizza guy, Mulder. Mulder,
3: and like she runs and it's so good. Uh, like, she truly yeah. is such a smart investigator. Like, she immediately puts
2: it all together. Right. And she's a fucking badass, too. She, like, shows up the hotel room. She kicks down the door. She's attacked by Ronnie, who, like, hisses, the, the pizza man Ronnie, who hisses at her with, like, his obviously fake fangs. But then he just like runs out of the room, tackles her. She tries to shoot him a few times. She doesn't hit him, but she is able to shoot out one of his tires. So that means he's fleeing on foot. Where she finds Mulder is... Drugged after eating the pizza beside the bed, and he wakes up and just sings the theme song to Shaft for some reason. Walter, are you okay?
0: Who's the black private dick who's a sex machine with all the chicks? Shaft. Can you dig it? They say this cat Shaft is a bad mother. Shut your mouth. I'm talking about Shaft. I did not.
1: Long story short. Yeah. And
3: then, and like Mulder's like, I did not. And, and Scully just gives a little shrug.
2: It's so funny. It's great. It's great. But yeah, you know, they both pursue Ronnie and that's how we see the teaser. Mulder actually manages to get to him first. Scully catches up right after Mulder has killed him, which brings us back to where we started, essentially.
3: And Mulder's like, that's bullshit. That's not what happened. And, and Scully mm-hmm. is like, okay, well, you tell me then, wise guy. Mm-hmm. And then we do it all again.
2: Do it all over again. So Mulder's version of the story um, during the whole like cow dead tourist exposition, like Mulder in his version, he's like a lot more like sensitive and polite.
0: I hope you brought your cowboy boots.
2: Why are we going to Dallas?
0: It's, actually, it's a little town just south of there called Chaney, Texas. Uh, they've had some incidents down there recently, which I think you'll agree are pretty unusual. Like what? Well, I, I brought some slides uh, with which to better illustrate. Here we go.
1: It's a dead cow.
0: It's actually six dead cows. And here's the really interesting thing.
1: Why am I looking at six dead cows?
0: Um, well, because of the manner in which they died, all six were mysteriously exsanguinated. And? And uh, two little puncture marks right here on the neck. Look, I, I got a slide of that. And um, one dead human victim last night, a vacationer from New Jersey, his body completely drained of blood and two little puncture wounds on his neck. OK, look, Scully, I-, I don't want to jump to any hasty conclusions. But on the strength of the evidence that we have here, I think that what we may be looking at is what appears to be a series of vampire or vampire-like attacks.
1: what do you base that
0: uh well on the corpses drained of blood and the fang marks on the neck (laughs) but as always I'm, i'm very eager to hear your opinion
1: well it's obviously not a vampire well why not
2: because they don't exist He's very good at explaining, like, his point of view, and he's ve- and he's always, like, prefacing, like, you know, I don't want to jump to any hasty conclusions, but, you know, maybe what we might be looking at could possibly be a vampire or maybe a vampire-like person. And Scully's like, no, they don't exist. Shut up, Mulder. She's so mean. It's hysterical. It's hysterical. She's like dismissive, she's irritable, she's like constantly rolling her eyes at him. She's constantly complaining. She truly is like the the textbook definition of like what you define as a shrew in his version. Like it's like she sucks, but it's hilarious and Gillian Anderson is like amazing and just so mean to him. It's it's fantastic.
3: It's so good. It's so good.
2: Derek, this is a good episode of television. Right. It really is. It really is. When we get to the next scene at the funeral home, there's actually kind of a new bit of information uh, because according to Mulder, Scully was so infatuated with the sheriff that she didn't overhear. Oh, no, this is before the
3: sheriff comes in. So she's just standing there, rolling her eyes, frustrated (laughs) to be there and not paying attention while Mulder is brilliant. And like the thing is, this time around, like this, this Information is important to the end of the episode um, and Mm -hmm. like the conclusion, but there is no reason why Mulder was so insistent that this bit be there, except for the fact that he feels like he's smart, which I think is very funny.
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. You're right. Yeah, because it really doesn't matter until after the story that they're telling each other. That's so true. But the, the bit of information is that, like, despite this town being, like, super small, it has, like, one of the largest stocks of caskets in the state, I think, yes, the, that's the guy what he says, says, which is, like, insane. <laughs> and Mulder's like, that's weird. Uh, and Scully is just not paying attention because everything sucks and is dumb. And why is she here? Um, and then Sheriff Hartwell arrives. And in this version, Scully's, like, way more obviously infatuated with him and, like, swooning over him. But also... According to Mulder, the sheriff is just like this big hick with big buck teeth that we referenced earlier. Who
0: Y'all must be the government people. I'm Lucius Harwell.
1: He had big buck teeth?
0: He had a slight over by. No, he
1: didn't. And that's significant? How?
0: I'm just trying to be thorough.
1: And, and
3: Scully is immediately like, buck teeth and he's like he has slight overbite um but he and i think the prosthetic is toned down a little but not by much
2: no yeah yeah not by much not by much and i like that detail too because like the whole episode obviously is about their different perspectives and everything's sort of subjective the way they're telling it but the way that they can sort of like tweak it and even in the context of Mulder telling his story he's still kind of like sugarcoating it for Scully one way or another when she like confronts him about it. Like it's all ever like reality. And the way we remember things is like fully ever changing just based on how we want to remember it and retell it to people. I, I think it's so fun. It's exquisite. One thing that I like about this, cause like in this scene, it's it's the same deal with Mulder and Scully kind of talking about their different theories, but in Mulder's version, it's less that and more Mulder like sharing all of his extensive intelligent knowledge that he's acquired based in the supernatural and all of this like vampire lore he knows.
0: Vampires have always been with us in ancient myths and stories passed down from early man. From the Babylonian Ikimu to the Chinese Kuang Shi, the Motet's Dom of the Hebrews, the Mormo of ancient Greece and Rome, Right down to the more familiar Nosferatu of Transylvania. Mormo.
1: Yeah. In short, Sheriff, no. This can't be what it looks like. I think what we're dealing
2: with here is simply a case of some lunatic. <laughs> Who uh, has watched too many Bella Lugosi movies? And Scully just being, just rolling her eyes and just being like, yeah, right. No, she's okay. not even
3: rolling her eyes. Like, she's just staring moonily at the <laughs> sheriff in the background and, like, not paying attention. It's very good.
2: And what I like about Mulder's thing, too, is that I think that there's, I've seen versions of, like, the sort of Rashomon story where, like, the people are always trying to make themselves look like like the the version they want to be, mm-hmm. right? And there's a there's a little bit of that to the extent in this one, but with Mulder like what I like is that even in his version of him his perspective of himself in his story, he's still like kind of a big nerd <laughs> oh essentially. God. He's a huge nerd. Like um yeah, not to talk about Harry
3: Potter or whatever, but like they're both Mulder and Scully are huge Ravenclaws in different directions. And sure. and Mulder loves Like, the truth is the most important thing to him, obviously, but he loves to learn Mm -hmm. and he loves to think about folklore. Like, he has a degree in psychology, but I bet you if he could double major, he would have gotten an anthropology degree or something.
2: Yeah, well, and I think it's interesting, too, because I think it's a good insight into his view of their relationship in that, like obviously we as an audience know the archetype for Scully is that she's rational and everything she does is based in like logic and knowledge. Right. But with Mulder, it still is that with him too. It's just that it's like, well, logically these supernatural things exist because of all the knowledge that I have about it. Like they both are coming at it with like the exact same like ideas and like with an equal amount of background and and an equal amount of like, Rationalization essentially or rationale behind it, it's just that it's just the complete opposite side, which is why, like, in this version of it, he's still spouting out all of the you know the vampire lore and like mythology stuff that he would in any given X Files episode. Um, he just does it a little more, you know, it's a, he's a little just a little more poetic about it, and Scully's like way more dismissive about it.
3: No, and and like, not only that, but like, he he's a little bit gentler, a little bit kinder, he's like. Mm. Giving this information, yeah. like very obviously because he loves it, um, and most of the time, obviously he loves it as well. But like, it's would be per- portrayed a little bit differently. This this was like it's almost like he's a lecturer in a classroom, and he's talking. Oh ab- yeah, yeah, and it's, he's talking about something that he obviously is very passionate about. Um whereas when Scully was talking about like Porphyria and all of like the potential causes for a human believing that they're a vampire, she's she's talking directly to the sheriff and be like, Hey, I'm smart and cool. And this is Mulder trying to give someone information that he loves and he thinks that they might be interested in. It's a little different, but interesting.
2: Yeah, it is. It is. But you know, all the while Scully is just like being like a big sarcastic wet blanket on all of it, <laughs> very condescending to him, deflating everything he's saying. <laughs> um, but, but nevertheless, uh, he still makes the same observation about the shoes being untied and asks the sheriff to take him to a cemetery so
3: actually one bit of information that appears in this version of events but not in scully's version is he's talking about different kinds of vampires and different like signs of vampirism in different cultures and he gestures to scully and he's like uh the serbs believe for example that red hair is a indicator of vampirism (gasps) and if you look ronnie strickland's a redhead
2: Oh, my God. I But yeah, because obviously he's saying it as like a joke to Scully. Mm-hmm. But like, never even made that connection. The actual like main vampire. I mean, there's many vampires ultimately. But the main vampire in this episode is a redhead. That's so funny. Yeah,
3: it's so good. And like later on when, when the sheriff asks Scully like what she thinks vampires are like, she's like, well, you know, apparently they're seductive and charming. I don't believe in them, but that's what people say. And mm-hmm. she's talking to the guy who has been charming and semi-seductive to her the whole episode it's just
2: oh my god that's so that's so smart
3: this episode is extremely well written and deeply good it's so great
2: yeah oh Word. Oh, man. Great. I dig it so much. So we, we get to see what was going on while Scully was performing that first autopsy. Uh, Hartwell takes Mulder to the cemetery. Mulder's trying to look for vampiric activity. It, and it's all based on, like, vampire lore and everything. It's co- what you were referring to earlier. It's
3: such a funny scene because um, Mulder is like, yeah.
0: Broken or shifted tombstones. The absence of birds singing. There you go. Because I, I ain't hearing any birds singing. Right? Of course, it's winter and we ain't got no birds. But is, is there anything else? A faint groaning coming from under the earth, the sound of mandication of the creature eating its own death shroud.
2: <laughs> what the fuck, dude? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about?
3: <laughs> no, it's so funny. And, like, Mulder's like, clearly is like, he, he's like trying to info dump about his special interest, um, but while also trying to run a serious investigation, and those two do not <laughs> <met>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, no, not at all. I he, uh, he, he mean, two vampires do go there because Ron, Ronnie drives by. The sheriff is there. But Mulder doesn't. I can, that, none of that clicks with him. Nope. So they, they basically find nothing. We do learn a little bit more because Mulder also explains like later that night. Um, They, they, stake, they stake it out until nighttime. So they're hanging they out for like a
3: long time. Eh, eh.
2: out uh, but Mulder explains like this one obscure fact that appears in all the myths.
0: Well, oddly enough, there seems to be one obscure fact which in all the stories told by the different cultures is exactly the same, and that's that vampires are really, really obsessive-compulsive.
1: Huh.
0: Yeah, you toss a handful of seeds at one, no matter what he's doing, he's got to stop and pick it up. If he sees a knotted rope, he's got to untie it. It's in his nature. In fact, that's why I'm guessing that our victim's shoelaces were untied. Yeah.
2: Obsessive. A- like rain, man. You'll have to tell me if this is right or not cuz I did not look into this if this is a thing that exists. Um
3: so yes and no. like I I did not brush up on my vampire lore and I do apologize on that. But yes, sure. it is a common feature in more eastern european vampire lore to my knowledge that like they do kind of have the need to untie knots or like count grain. Like that's that is true to yeah. a certain cultural yeah. vampire. So But that's why the count on Sesame Street works, because he counts.
2: Oh yeah Nice. God damn this episode's so good. It's
3: great, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Mulder Mulder brings up that little bit of trivia. So that that's why the shoes being untied was a big clue for him.
3: Do you want to know one of my this is completely unrelated, but do you want to know one of my favorite uh vampires in different cultures? I'm a sure. big fan of Chinese vampires um okay. because the uh, the ancient Chinese believed that like if you, a vampire, like, would not be able to move in a human way because of, like, the way their rigor mortis, like, stiffens the body, they wouldn't be able to move their limbs. So they, like, hop around. <laughs> like, that's why. Wow. Yeah, like, you, there have been um, Power Ranger, like, guys like the minions who've been based on chinese vampires and they have okay uh traditional chinese vampires have like a scroll either on like their their forehead or on, like the back of their head which is like the the magic inscription that's keeping them alive um but they have their arms straight forward and they hop around <laughs> it's so fun that's
2: beautiful wow that's so interesting i love it oh man that's great yeah i love i <laughs> Folklore is really good. Yeah, it really is. So
3: is this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're probably going to cut that, but that's fine. I just... No,
2: I'm not. That sounds fascinating. I love it. Okay. That stuff's great. Yeah. So uh, Mulder and the sheriff get called to a local RV park, uh, and they try to stop a runaway RV. Uh, It's really funny because they're like (laughs) trying to shoot out the tires. Apparently, it's way harder to shoot out tires than it looks like on TV. Okay,
3: listen, listen. Um, I have a theory, and again, I'm not very far into my X Files rewatch, so I don't know if like this is an actual canon thing that my brain is like half remembering, or if like Fringe has bled too far into my brain um, uh-huh. and, and and conflated the two. But I feel like if you bear out the evidence canonically, Scully is a better shot than Mulder.
2: So, Ooh, yeah, I love it.
3: It's because like that's even kind of supported later in the episode. I'm not gonna. Drop a hint on that now, but like Mulder's saying, it's really hard to shoot out the wheels on a moving vehicle. Um, but Scully did hit a tire later in the episode. We don't yeah. know whether or not the car was moving, but I feel like she could have hit it.
2: Right. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I'm totally down with that take. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that doesn't work. He tries to, like, jump on the RV. I don't know what the fuck he was trying to do. He's, like, hanging on to the RV in the back.
3: (laughs) Yeah, he tries to jump onto the moving RV to, like, climb. Like, they have, like, a ladder on the side. He's, like, trying to get into the RV to, like, turn it off. But he obviously can't jump onto a moving vehicle. Um, So he gets dragged behind it. And then after he falls off, it runs out of gas and just stops.
2: It's so yeah. funny. It's so funny. And that's how he got all muddy.
3: Yeah. And like Mulder tries to jump past this and not tell this part of the story. But Scully's like, no, no, no,
2: no. Don't skip ahead. What happened? It's so right. funny. Yeah. So like, that's not fun, obviously. Even less fun is a dead body in that RV with mm-hmm. more vampire puncture wounds. So this is this is where Mulder finds the dead body that Scully will will autopsy next um but uh we see his version of when he returns to the motel room and like from his point of view he's you know he's just gone through this really embarrassing ordeal and f- but this runaway rv thing was also happening like in uh, in front of like ostensibly like the whole town or at least the whole rv part no and like there's so, like- so
3: many people including ronnie <laughs> but like yep. the entire town basically is just like had to like stood there and watched as Mulder got dragged behind this car
2: yeah the <laughs> So he, like, understandably feels like shit. Tired, frustrated, and lacking a solid lead. I just
0: wanted to get cleaned up. I had the sheriff drop me at the motel, which is where I ran into you.
1: What do you mean you want me to do another autopsy? Why do I have to do it right now? I just spent hours on my feet doing an autopsy, all for you. I do it all for you, Mulder. You know, I haven't eaten since 6 o'clock this morning, and all that was was half of a cream cheese bagel, and it wasn't even real cream cheese. It was light cream
2: cheese. She gives what might possibly be one of my favorite lines and line deliveries in all media where, <laughs> where you know, she's just complaining about not wanting to do the autopsy right now. And she's like, Mulder, I haven't eaten anything since six o'clock this morning. And all I had to eat was the cream cheese bagel. Half oh, a sorry. cream and cheese all bagel. I had to, and all I had to eat was half a cream cheese bagel. And it wasn't even real cream cheese. It was light cream cheese.
3: And she starts going on. I was like, I, I did it all for you, Mulder. I do it all for you. <laughs> Um, and she's
2: just God, yelling at him. It's so funny. Yeah, because, like, the magic fingers bed is happening in the background, too. So, like, it's so chaotic. And Mulder's just sitting there just, like, taking it from her. Uh, it's so funny. It's so funny. She eventually leaves, although they add in, like, a, don't you touch that bed as she leaves.
3: And, like, she it's slams just... the
2: door and, like, the picture yeah. on the wall next to him, like, drops. It's <laughs> God. It's I think I I love I, I I love your your take on this like being kind of a response to Mulder's portrayal or uh, his response to um to Scully's version of events because like God, she's so mean. Yeah. She's so ridiculously mean it's in his version. It's so
3: funny. <laughs> so like he gets up and he's all sad and he turns on the TV and he takes off his shoes and he like yeah drops his coat and he like goes into the bathroom and then the door knocks and he's suddenly he in his like sexy shirt like
2: undershirt. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's Ron it's Ronnie delivering the pizza, um, as we know will happen. And two things of note in this
3: scene for me. First of all, um I tried to figure out which version of events was a little bit more true based on Mulder's wardrobe. Because like after like oh couple watch throughs. I was like, hey, so like if in Mulder's watch through he's just wearing his undershirt, in the opening he's definitely wearing a coat. Is he like just wearing the undershirt? Um or mm-hmm. like does he have like what is he dressed in? And it's a through line through all of them. You can see in the very beginning, Mulder is wearing his like overcoat and just the undershirt, if you pay very close attention. And mm-hmm. then in Scully's version, he also is just wearing the undershirt. So that's very good, like, canonically paying attention. He definitely yeah. did take off his shirt to try and clean off at least a little bit of the mud. Um, yeah. Also important, um, Mulder is a horrible tipper, and I'm frankly I embarrassed.
2: I am furious because he's almost, like, proud because it's, it's $12.98, I think, is what the pizza costs. Yes. And Mulder's like, I'll give you 13 and it's like, don't be proud that you didn't, like, ask for change, two cents change, when you're not even fucking tipping the guy. Yes. What are you talking about?
3: Mulder, you deserve to be almost vampire food for that one. Like, come mm-hmm. on.
2: <laughs> also, the other thing about this, um, the timeline doesn't exactly match up between Scully's and Mulder's stories because... Yeah, that's, like, that's seen- why
3: I, I was a little- confused um yeah. because he like obviously is taking a little bit more time right. but no it like he did definitely take off his shirt so i don't think i yeah. don't think he jumped on the bed money muddy i think he did i don't think that in his version is correct like the way that right. he he was all sad when when scully left like obviously there was a little bit of hurt feelings on both sides but i think he yeah. did like immediately just start shucking sure. his stuff um, I think cause that's the only way it works. I don't think it played yeah. out exactly as it did in his version. Um, yeah. but he, he must have either that or he answered the door with his like muddy overcoat and he like dropped it while it he was later. eating the pizza.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like it's gotta be some combination of, of their two stories for it to line up, mm-hmm. which I think is like kind of, I think it's fun because like, I, 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 I love, it's one of the things I like about these types of episodes is that like, you can you can like whether on purpose or not have continuity mistakes that only make it more fun to break down because you're you're seeing it's all from unreliable narrators anyway. So like it's it's it, it may be intentional like weird continuity or maybe it was an accident, but it still works because we're not seeing the real events anyway. So like it just all it does is just make you think a little bit more about like what might really be going on or what we missed or who is a little bit closer to the truth or not. So, yeah, Mulder has the pizza. He eats it, which means that, like, he's going to be drugged. So he, it's it. They, they flash forward a little bit. He starts feeling the effects of the drug. I think he, he recognizes that his shoes were untied. So at some point, yeah, no, like, Ronnie untied his shoes. That doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't.
3: <laughs> I think that he's trying to imply that, like, while he was in the bathroom taking off his shirt, when he com- came out, like, Ronnie was there, Um, mm. it was because... He like he had untied the shoes in that very brief amount of time. Sure,
2: okay, Mulder. I feel like it, like didn't probably that part probably didn't even happen, and he only said that just to like be like, yeah, see the the shoes on un- being untied thing was an important clue, right? Like that's how I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: I think it's much more likely that he he felt the effects of the drug, saw yeah. Ronnie standing outside of his window, and then he tried to call Scully.
2: Right. Right, which he does, and in in this version <laughs> we, we see the other end of the phone call, and like in this, you know, in in Scully's version, it was just strictly breathing is all we heard, and the Scully's like, okay, and hangs up. In this version,
1: Scully. Um, Hello? Uh, Hello? Uh, uh,
2: He is like he's being quiet and has a hard time talking, but he is audibly saying words that she probably could have heard on the other end, and she is just like, "Ugh, creep," and hangs up. Oh, it's so good. So Ronnie's there. In this case, he has glowing green eyes, big ol' fangs, he's hissing, prepares to attack Mulder, uh, but Mulder manages to postpone his demise by scattering sunflower seeds all over the floor. Oh, man, what'd you have to go and do that for? You are in big trouble which Ronnie kind of has to compulsively start picking up. <laughs> I was like, "Oh man, what a you have to go and do that." It's so funny. Um, on the Wikipedia
3: article page for this episode, they have um, like a little quote from from Vince Gillian or I don't the director, I don't remember. I should probably look it up. I'm not going to. Um, it's fine. Uh, where where he was like uh, the actor who played Ronnie asked somebody in charge was like, "So it's like, is he like trying to get people to underestimate him or is he like just an idiot and they were like no no no! this guy's a moron he's not (laughs) (laughs) smarter
2: he's not trying to hide his intention. no he's just an idiot he was like got it i love it oh it's so fun it makes him such a fun villain because it's like he should be easier for them to subdue honestly (laughs) like it's it's bad that it went as badly as it did because he's not that good at this
3: <laughs> but he does have the element of surprise because he's like a teenager sure. delivering pizza nobody expects the sure. pizza guy yeah
2: yep exactly the other fun production thing is that the apparently the way they did the glowing green eyes it wasn't like a digital effect or anything because i guess they just weren't there yet they apparently literally it says i've read this on a couple of places that they literally put fluorescent stickers on the actor's eyelids. oh no which, To me, raises even more questions because, like, what? How does that even work exactly? Did they mean they put stickers on like contacts and put it on their eyes, or like? Don't. That's the thing. I read eyelids in like at least two different places, and maybe it all came from the same source and Mm -hmm. it was a typo. I don't know because eyelids doesn't make sense to me unless it's like maybe it's the way that it's reflected on camera, like the like I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. I don't understand. I'm going to so, go with
3: fluorescent contacts, contacts. until proven otherwise. And I proven yeah. otherwise? I mean, Gillian Anderson, David Duchovny, oh, or Vince <laughs> Gillian, or, or the actor who plays Ronnie Strickland is going to have to like, come up to me and be like, yeah, no, like they literally painted my eyelids. Uh, that's the only yeah. way I'm going to believe it.
2: Right, cuz I just like that just raises more questions. I don't understand. Yeah, the context thing like makes more sense. I really think that I that has to be a typo. It has to be. But it's still cool that that's a practical effect. I never would have guessed. I just I fully would have assumed Yeah, especially they just, like, it's like digitally painted over their eyes.
3: It's such a bright glow. Mhm.
2: Yeah, so Scully enters in this version, she does Mulder sees her shoot Ronnie twice like right in the chest, and it just has no effect. And also in this version, he uh, with his glowing green eyes, he hisses and fully leaps over the bed, which Scully is like. You're saying that I actually hit him two times? Square
0: in the chest. No effect.
1: And then he sort of flew at me like a flying squirrel.
0: Well, well, I don't think I'll use the phrase flying squirrel when I talk to Skinner, but yeah, that's what happened.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And, And Mulder's like. No, I wouldn't put it that way, exactly.
3: He <laughs> specifically is like, uh, I wouldn't, I'm not going to say it like that to Skinner. It's so funny. <laughs> no, but like this, yeah. this gives more weight to my Scully's a better shot than Mulder theory, because she hits yeah. Ronnie twice square in the chest, presumably hits him twice more after he um, like leaves the hotel room and like the two shots that we see from her point of view and then hits the car tire. So if that's true, that's five for five.
2: Yeah. Oh, hell yes. Yeah, Scully. Nice. It, the, the rest of it goes like normal. Uh, Mulder, uh, they, they chase after him. Mulder catches up to him and kills him just like we saw in the teaser. The only hope, really, at this point, to solving who's more correct is like the autopsy, if it would prove if Ronnie's really a vampire or not, right? Um, but unfortunately, that doesn't happen because then we <laughs> we cut to the uh, the autopsy where Ronnie wakes up and attacks the coroner.
3: Again, it's so funny. Um, like the the coroner, I I think that all people who do um like. Autopsies in the X Files universe has an exquisite sense of humor uh, because mm. he he like pulls down the sheet. And it's like cause of death. Who could
2: guess? Or or, or something <laughs> it's like of, that. It's yeah, he's so got a giant piece of wood sticking out of his chest. Yeah. It's so funny.
3: So like, he takes the stake out, and this is. Um, accurate to vampire lore, by the way, like in in like oh, okay. yeah, so like um, a stake through the heart doesn't actually kill a vampire; it just paralyzes it. You would have to Uh-oh. cut off the head and remove the heart if you like, uh, as per Bram Stoker, if you wanted to actually kill a vampire. So sure, did the research there. I also want to say, as per like the lore, he. Mulder tries to say earlier that vampires don't have fangs in a lot of the lore. I don't really know either way on that one. But he does say that sunlight is a cause of death. Like in the – the, I should have mentioned this earlier, but I totally forgot. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he talks about how, like, Sunlight kills some vampires, and that's not true. Uh, sunlight being a cause of death for vampires was never a part of the lore until the film Nosferatu, where they were trying... Really? Yeah, that's the first instance of that. Huh. So Nosferatu very famously um, was sued by the Stoker estate because they are like... That's obviously a ripoff of Dracula. Like you tried to change it up, but like that's obviously Dracula and they lost their copyright claim. Mm -hmm. uh, And that's why most of the film version of Nosferatu was destroyed and was considered a lost film for most of our history until it was recovered. Um, but that is one of the big innovations of Nosferatu, the fact that the vampire dies in sunlight. That was never a part of the lore until that
2: film. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. he
3: also collapses into dust in that movie, which then later in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they right. took because, um, apparently <laughs> they were like, I don't want to have to deal with teenagers hiding bodies. There aren't any bodies. They pull, they poof into dust. Yep
2: genius uh g- like genius innovation storytelling innovation Honestly,
3: truly but that's where that comes from
2: yeah that's so interesting okay yeah because i mean and that's that's the thing in this in this case like the vampires they're really very little about them really is vampire vampire and like the most common sense they're pretty much just like i guess immortal people who are hard to kill that like blood, but we don't even really know like, if they like blood. We don't even it might know. only be Ronnie that likes blood. Yeah, like-, <laughs> like, we don't know
3: what they need, what their deal yeah. is. We don't know if they are immortal. Like, I think that um, like, Wilson implies, like, that the community has been around for a long time, like Ronnie, mm-hmm. as part of the community, is an older, but like, we don't know what their deal is at all. Like, we, we only get like, hints about what is or isn't true about this vampires and we can make like assumptions based on the lore, but I don't actually think they fit um, to my knowledge, right. any traditional like folkloric vampire, which I think is neat.
2: It's really fun. Yeah. Like, I- honestly, if they didn't have Ronnie, like pretending to be a traditional vampire, you could just, you could just say that these aren't vampires and there's something completely different. Like they could call them another type of creature or something. And it would be like, okay, yeah, sure. Cause they're so wildly different in so many other ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so cool. One of the things that I really love. So like we see very explicitly that Ronnie just has regular teeth when he attacks the coroner. <laughs> yeah. So
3: funny. He like goes. He like to 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 kill the coroner. And he's like hissing, and then he like feels his teeth, and it's like, oh, I don't have my fangs. Well, okay then. It's so funny.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because then we cut to cut to you know to to Skinner's uh, right outside Skinner's office, where Mulder and Scully are about to go in and explain their stories and everything. It's even like <laughs> Scully's like, Mulder, please just keep reminding him you were drunk. Would you stop? Stay-
1: couldn't to stop it. Scully, Mulder, I
2: was drugged. <laughs> it's so funny. So funny. It's so funny. It's so funny.
3: And, and the secretary is like uh on the phone, like as they're sitting there waiting, like oh, Mr. Skinner's about to be into a meeting for several hours. um <laughs> Can I take a message? That's great. And, and like they're sitting there, fucking sweating about going in with Skinner, and then Mulder yeah. immediately like, I was drugged. It's.
1: Mm, com-
3: this is a funny episode
2: it's of so television funny. it's so funny and it doesn't even matter anyway because Skinner's like actually guys unfortunately <laughs> um, I want you to go back to Texas go back to Texas, like, back to Texas. The, you know, the, the coroner was attacked
0: Ronnie Strickland's body has disappeared from the morgue apparently in conjunction with this the coroner's been attacked his throat was bitten the coroner's dead? no his throat was bitten it was sort of
1: nod on.
3: No, no, he was just kind of nod
2: on. <laughs> it's so funny. Just nod <laughs> on. It's so funny. It's so funny. Oh my god. Because uh, you know Roddy doesn't have fangs, so <laughs> just nod on this dude's neck, I guess. <laughs> So they return to Texas and they have a conversation where it's sort of like, I guess we maybe we were both right. It is a guy who has seen too many Bella Lugosi movies, wants to be a classic vampire. It's just that he also happens to be a real vampire, but real vampire is just like... Don't have fangs and stuff, so they're like it's a combination of both of them. We talked about that a little earlier, so uh, it's it's kind of a it's a fun way to sort of like solve the the perception problem where it's like both of your perceptions of what was going on were kind of correct, just in their own way. Mm-hmm. So,
3: and they do immediately again. Mulder was shown to be wrong about how vampires operate, yet he still insists that they go directly from like, the the Dallas airport, I'm guessing, to Cheney, yeah. Texas Cemetery instead of, like, yeah. checking in with the sheriff or going anywhere. Because, like, presumably the sheriff would know where Ronnie is. He never even... They never even ask him about that. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, stick out the cemetery.
2: Yeah, yeah. Luckily, the sheriff shows up at the cemetery. I mean, which, which is nice, I guess, because he is a vampire, and vampires are show up <laughs> at cemeteries, right?
3: I think it's more along the lines that yeah. he would, like... I know where Mulder's going to take him.
2: Yeah. But yeah, so the sheriff shows up. Funny bit where it is proven in reality that he does not have buck teeth and Mulder has to concede to that.
3: (laughs) And like, no, this is very funny. Like Scully looks at him directly and just kind of like taps her front teeth. (laughs) It's so fun. And then Mulder asks the sheriff to hang out at the stakeout, the cemetery with Scully. And he's like, don't say I never did nothing for you, partner, or something. It's so fun.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Scully is with the sheriff at the cemetery. Mulder's heading to the RV park uh, to investigate there, and that's when we learn during this little conversation that Scully is having with the sheriff that, oh, by the way, he is also a vampire himself.
1: I really need to
0: apologize to you about Ronnie. He makes us all look bad. He's just not who we are anymore. I mean, we pay taxes. We're good neighbors. Oh, Ronnie, he just, he can't quite seem to grasp the concept of low profile.
2: It's a really nice monologue that Luke Wilson has. Ronnie really is the one who's out here giving them a bad name. But since he is one of theirs, they are still, they do still to protect them and Scully basically gets drugged. Like he gives her coffee, she drinks it, and she starts to pass no,
3: out. No, basically so. that is that is what happens. But I do I do think it's important to note that the very mm-hmm. beginning of the scene, like he's offering her coffee, like obviously trying to warm her up because she'd been standing in the cemetery for an unknown amount of time, and he is a gentleman, right? Um, I need you, Derek, to know that uh-huh. the mug that this man has in his car. Is a okay. boot. It is a boot-shaped mug. It is a. That's true. It is incredible. I um, <laughs> I w- I tried to find it, and there is no when you when you type in X Files Bad Blood boot mug there is no results and that is a heartbreaking tragedy to me personally oh. especially because like it kind of even looks like the um the handle is kind of heart-shaped it's so cute um
2: tragic
3: <laughs> listen uh, if anybody has that mug dm me or or like please i'm
2: desperate it's so fun <laughs> Oh my god, I love it. I love it. It's so silly. Oh boy. So at the RV park, <laughs> Mulder gets to Ronnie's RV, and there's literally a coffin in his RV, which is just so funny. Repeat business, funny baby. Site. Yeah. So Mulder like does try to kill Ronnie. It's a whole thing. Oh, he doesn't there's try to where- kill
3: Ronnie. He tries to arrest him. He reads the Miranda <laughs> rights right.
2: to the coffin. That's right. That's right. Eventually, he's just straddling the coffin that Ronnie is sleeping in. It's just or trying to, you know, trying to get out of. It's it's ridiculous. It's just fully ridiculous. So funny.
3: And like he handcuffs it close, I think. Um, yeah. And that's when he notices the danger he's in because there are all of these green glowing eyes surrounding the RV.
2: So it turns out that everyone in the RV park is a vampire. Uh oh. Um, his only course of action apparently is to pick up two breadsticks I think <laughs> yeah, and use them he uses as, the a cross. as
3: a cross. And like I Dude, don't. Mulder,
2: my guy. What? <laughs> I don't know
3: what he was expecting to happen with that, but yeah. I I get literally go with God. I guess.
2: I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> Obviously, it doesn't work, uh, and you know all the, the 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 whole town just sort of like crowds him, and it kind of cuts away before you really see what happens. Um, and then Mulder and Scully just both wake up the next morning.
3: Yeah, like Mulder <laughs> wakes up in their rental car. L- looks like he had been shoved into it through the driver's side window with his head, really? like in the passenger side, with his boots hanging out the window, and they have been untied. Um, Scully, however, rolls up into the RV park wearing the sheriff's jacket. Yeah. He clearly like left that on her so she wouldn't be cold overnight.
2: That's so nice. But did she walk all the way from the cemetery? Like how far away was that? Cause that's gotta suck. I mean,
3: <laughs> yeah, it's r- rural Texas, so it's probably pretty far. Um, maybe yeah. he dropped her off and he just like what, she wasn't in the car Truly, we have no idea because the narrative stays with Mulder. But I like to think that maybe he, like, left her someplace. Like, maybe she was even – maybe she was inside the office behind him um, and she just happened to be buttoned up with that nice coat.
2: But she said she woke up in the cemetery, though, is the problem, like, explicitly. Oh, she does, doesn't she? Because I was – yeah, because I was like, you did then? I don't know. But you know what? can only be questioned so much. How did they get back from from Antarctica in the movie? I don't fucking know. So, like (laughs) – it's Maybe Scully has magical teleportation powers. Listen, she doesn't die. Why wouldn't she? <laughs> right, exactly. So there you go. Why not? Yeah, so they notice that the RV park is completely empty. Mulder's like, they pulled up stakes. But I'm... Um, <laughs> So, yes, I mean, like, the 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 explanation being that, like, the, the vampires are just, like, nomads, essentially. They're all in the RV park, so they can make a clean getaway if they get noticed, which was the case here. Well, and not so.
3: only are they nomads, but probably everyone in town. So, like, they probably are going to go either, like, find a small town or, like, make another one someplace else, where, and they'll be the only people in it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
3: Um, But it is important to note, though... That it that, like it cuts away and it's finally revealed that this also was them retelling it, but to Skinner. So like yeah. it feels much more like a normal X Files episode. So presumably they were telling the truth to him, but like right. even still it was only ever our percept, like their perception of what happened. Yeah. Like we never saw the true events.
2: Right. Exactly. Which I think is kind of brilliant. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the way it happened from start to finish.
1: Well, I can neither confirm nor deny Agent Mulder's version of events which occurred outside my presence. Yeah,
0: I can neither confirm nor deny Agent Scully's version of events. But um
1: Anyway, I was drugged.
0: That is essentially exactly the way it happened.
2: Essentially. It's great, which is, you know, with this episode in a nutshell. I love it.
3: It's so good. And then, and this is very important to me. It it fades to black, and then Mulder says, "Except for the buck teeth."
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like, which means that he still brought up the buck teeth, even to Skinner. <laughs> like- <laughs> oh man oh god it's great man you know what's funny when, it, when I was it, it, it had I've seen this episode multiple times but it had been a while mm-hmm. since the last time I saw it so I was watching it for this once they once they wrapped up um, you know Mulder's version and I realized like oh there's still a good amount of the episode left Of sort of like is it going to be a case where like maybe they end the end prem- the gimmicky premise a little too early and then the rest of the episode kind of drags wrapping up the story because there's already been a couple of episodes for this podcast that I've kind of covered where it's like god I wish they'd like kept the premise of it longer and didn't reset back to a regular episode. But like with this, I think it's fun because... For one, the comedy never stops, even once they get out of the Rashomon thing, like you have Mulder straddling a a coffin (laughs) with a vampire in it, like that stuff's fun as shit. But then, like you said, it still ends up kind of putting a capper on all of it, because even this stuff is technically a retelling of it to another person. So we can't really trust everything that's happening in this story anyway. You know, Mm -hmm. I think it's just yeah, it's just such an intelligently structured episode.
3: Man, it's almost like Vince Gillian is a is a really good writer, and maybe we should check out some of the other stuff he does.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I've heard I've heard some of his uh, some of the shows are pretty good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So any other any closing thoughts or, or anything um, that we didn't that we didn't touch upon that you uh, wanted to bring up? Um, episode good. Uh, I really liked yeah. it. Hold on.
3: Uh, let me look through the Wikipedia tabs that I have had open. Just. Well, I was researching, mm-hmm. oh, um, I don't know if it shows up anywhere else, but it is canonical on the X Files character, like on the TV Trope's page for the X Files. on On his character page, it's noted that Mulder is a bad tipper. So this either shows up <sighs> multiple times, or like us, the people who make the TV Trope page, were so horrified by tipping two cents, they what
2: the fuck, man,
3: added it to like the information we know about this character canonically TV tropes page.
2: Important to know. Yeah, it
3: is. <laughs> it is important. We should all know that. Um, the one other thing that I wanted to point out is that Mulder, who I do like very much, um, mm-hmm. I gotta say, my guy, earlier in the episode when he is trying to convince Scully to like tell him his, her version of events, he tries to convince her because like to 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 get their story straight by telling her that uh she doesn't want to go to prison because her cellmate will be named large marge and reads a lot of yep. gertrude stein and that's mm
2: that mm yeah he also has a similar um quote unquote joke in jose chung as well that's like uh uh i mean it's it's literally just a prison rape joke like in that episode so that's just a, a repeated thing with him. Apparently, that's uh, that's not that's his go-to. I guess it's not, a
3: not cool and b. Why does reading iconic right. lesbian author Gertrude <laughs> fuck, Stein man? have anything to do with like maybe maybe <laughs> in this hypothetical scenario, um, large Marge and Scully could have a cool reading group about how great Gertrude Stein is. Like what? Yeah.
2: What the heck, Mulder? Yeah, it sucks. Sucks and blows. Don't like it. It
3: does. It does. Uh, and that's just another fun bit of 90s culture that to us uh-huh. here today are like, mm, that's not nice.
2: Yep. yep. Oh, for sure. For sure. The only other thing I had is just a, a quote that I really liked that was sort of in closing of this episode from that Monsters of the Week book. Mm-hmm. It was from from Zach Hanlon's analysis of mm-hmm. it. Um, I think this is actually how he ends the, the, the passage on this episode, but it says, uh, that's the real joy of art, the attempt to communicate your own specific, unique, never to be repeated view of the world to others. And maybe that's the most we can hope for in real life relationships that we agree on the basics, but take pleasure in noting the discrepancies. I just think that's kind of beautiful. It
3: is. It is beautiful. I
2: love that. And representative of this whole episode. It's, it's nice. It's
3: very nice. Oh, I like that very much. Thank you.
2: Well, thank you, Merrilee, for being on this episode. As usual, great stuff. I love your perspectives on these things. And honestly, I already love this episode a lot, but you still help me think about it in in uh, in different ways than I had before. Um so yeah I always always appreciate that. Derek,
3: I will keep saying this. It is literally my pleasure. Um <laughs> I like talking to you. You're a good friend of mine and have been for for many years. Um but then the fact that this gets to be on a podcast that I deeply enjoy mm-hmm. is so wild to me. Like I am a fan you. of your work in general. Um so it's just it's a gift to me personally that I get to do this with you. So
2: thank you. Well, thank you. Any, any, uh, anything you'd like to plug before we close out? Um,
3: not really. I'm just a guy. Um, sure. Hopefully at some point I will get off my own ass and maybe have a podcast to plug about it. But as you know, um, the vibes are <laughs> rancid out here. So
2: <laughs> <laughs> one, day, one, day. one day. wait, We'll be waiting patiently for, uh, for whatever you unveil. Okay. Um, I guess...
3: Yeah. Um, if I had to plug anything, I think that there's this video essayist that I whose work I'm a big fan of, actually. I, I, I really like uh his work. He does a lot of different mediums and I, I I like them every time. But in particular there's this episode on the Power Rangers movie that I think is criminally underrated and he does a great analysis. I think you should check out Second Chance Media. Cool. It's fantastic.
2: Cool. Thank you. <laughs>
3: no i like i i'm I'm not just saying that i think it's really good also um if you like the power rangers movie we should be friends um because it rules extremely hard and nobody gave it a chance because they didn't
2: the 2017 movie specifically specifically
3: Um, specifically, thank you for pointing that the power rangers 2017 was a good film um and everybody slept on it it is however i will say um an unexpectedly effective, safe-driving
2: PSA. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
3: Like, I was not expecting that to be the through line of that film, Um, but it sure is. Anyway, it's got great actors, like uh, all of the people that were in it, even uh, the guy who plays the Red Power Ranger in that film.
2: Daka Montgomery. Yeah,
3: he's fantastic. He goes on to play – Max's creepy older brother and Stranger Things to great acclaim. It's great. It's a great film. More people should watch it. And definitely more people should check out Second Chance Media. It's fantastic.
2: Oh, cool. Well, thanks again for being on this podcast with me. If you would like to find more from me, you can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale or on my other podcasts, Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast which does deep dives into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made.
3: Oh, I'm on that, by the way, also, if you want to check me out. But I think you should check it out anyway, especially (laughs) because they just had this three-year anniversary
2: happy birthday thank you thank you and uh, no signs of stopping anytime soon thank god
3: it's one of my favorite (laughs) podcasts
2: awesome i love it thank you uh we can also check out a podcast falling with style an ongoing pixar movie marathon which is a monthly podcast that dives into every pixar film chronologically You can also follow this podcast at GimmicksPod on Twitter and Instagram for some extra goodies. And email me your questions, feedback, and corrections to GimmicksPodcast at gmail.com. And if you could, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on all your podcast platforms. Until next time, friends, keep being weird. It's Sunday night.